Tonight's reading is Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 62. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set up for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him, because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to them, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father God, please, please, would you help us tonight? Please, by your spirit, would you speak words of life and truth to us? Please help us to hear clearly what your passage, what your word is saying to us. Give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. Amen. Now, religion is on the rise. From Russell Brand to to The Guardian, social commentators have said one of the responses to the pandemic has been an increase in interest in all things to do with God. And guessing that a number of those uh, tuning into this broadcast have probably not had much contact with church before. And if that's you, then I do hope you'll continue to tune in and keep learning more of the Lord Jesus and the hope that he offers. But the the religion that our culture is happy now to affirm and and to accept is what I, I guess you could call alcohol Christianity. Let me explain. By and large, our culture thinks that it's it's healthy now to have some sort of interest in religion, so long as uh, you relate to it the same way we would say you relate to alcohol in a healthy way. In other words... It's okay to indulge in moderation at the weekend, or perhaps to, to turn to it uh, for a little bit of comfort if you've had a particularly bad day. But if it starts to impact your work, your relationships, if it starts to impact the way that you run your life, well, then you've got a serious problem. That is highly unhealthy <laughs> alcohol Christianity. What Jesus, though, calls each and every one of us to here is a million miles from moderate and respectable. He calls us to an extreme devotion. He calls you and me to be single-minded followers of the single-minded Savior. He calls us to make him our ultimate purpose, the consuming ambition and desire of our lives. He calls us to give up everything for him. And he wants us to nail our colors to the mast, no matter the cost. And tonight's passage calls us to examine our lives. Does Jesus' picture of what it means to follow him match my life if I call myself a Christian? Now, uh, Three things really for us. Uh, Firstly, Jesus headed to Jerusalem for rejection with commitment. Jesus' followers must respond to rejection with grace. And Jesus' followers must give him total commitment. 
Firstly, Jesus headed to Jerusalem for rejection with total commitment. Luke 9, verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to Jerusalem, Jesus set out resolutely. Uh, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. This is the turning point in Luke's gospel. Up until now, Jesus has been ministering, teaching, healing up in his home region, up north in Galilee. But from here on in, he is on the road, journeying to Jerusalem, right the way through to to chapter 19. And at least five times in this section, Luke will say, as he was journeying to Jerusalem, on the road to Jerusalem. Now, some journeys only take on significance because of a particular context. So if this time last year you'd said to somebody, I'm planning on driving up to County Durham to Barnard Castle, nobody would bat an eyelid. But today, uh, thanks to Dominic Cummings and lockdown, Barnard Castle has a particular importance. That journey suddenly has a significance. Now, if you look back to to chapter 9 and verse 22, you see why it's such a big deal for Jesus to be heading to Jerusalem. Chapter 9, verse 22, he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jerusalem is where the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law sit and rule the nation. He is going to his place of death when he says he's going to Jerusalem. And he is heading there resolutely. His unswerving commitment is, his mission in life, his consuming drive is, I'm going to die. Now, he's no masochist. He is going to Jerusalem for rejection and death because he has to. Because that's how he'll win forgiveness for hopeless sinners like you and like me. That's how he'll destroy evil and bring about a reign of perfect justice and righteousness and joy, a a reign, a kingdom, an eternal paradise where there'll be no pandemics and no racial injustice. The only way he can bring about those things is by going to Jerusalem and dying on the cross. And throughout this section, we've seen that Jesus' followers must do what Jesus does follow the pattern of his life. So it's no surprise that we'll see in this section, again, we must follow him. We must respond to rejection the way he does, and we must follow his cause with the same commitment that he does. So Jesus' followers must respond to rejection with grace. Verse 52, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Now, you may well have heard of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritans had originally been part of uh, the tribe of Israel, uh, part of the Jewish people. Um, But about a thousand years ago, that that had changed. And these days, in Jesus' days, uh, Jews of his day viewed the Samaritans as racially and religiously inferior. They had their own worship in their own temple on Mount Gerizim. They rejected Jerusalem. It's it's always hard to draw historical parallels, but perhaps one way of thinking about it would be to say that uh, the Jews of Jesus' day tended to view the Samaritans of Jesus' day like far too many whites uh, viewed African-Americans in the Deep South in the 1960s. It's that kind of thing we're talking about. Now, most Jews would have taken a detour to get from the north, Galilee, down to Jerusalem. They'd have gone round to avoid going through the Samaritan area. 
But Jesus has come to be the savior of all peoples. And so he goes into Samaria to proclaim his message of salvation. Now, it seems uh, too obvious to say, but this week of all weeks, it needs to be said, Jesus loves people of every race. Jesus loves people of every race. He made every single human being of every race in his image. He created the different races, and he loves our diversity. He sent his son, uh, God the Father sent his son to save people from every tribe and nation. And so he hates, he hates, he absolutely hates racial injustice. And he will one day judge it severely. There will be no majority culture in the new creation. All of us, every single one of us, will be there as adopted children of Almighty God, sharing the same right to join in Him. That means that uh, anyone who would own the label Christian on earth must share Christ's attitude to race. He was willing to die on the cross so that people of all races and nations could be saved. And his people must do better than just not to actively participate in racism. We must actively oppose an evil that denies God's very purposes in creation and in salvation to create the diversity of human peoples and to save the diversity of human peoples for his new creation. Therefore, how we treat people now matters if we want to call ourselves followers of God. Now, it's perhaps easy to change a social media profile to show solidarity with a cause, but it is much harder to actively seek to understand and befriend those who are different, those who perhaps seem awkward and difficult to us, and to do so on their terms, not on mine. But we're called to do that. It's not the central point of this passage, but it's, it's got to be said this week of all weeks. Now, we don't know about her other villages, but Luke records that this particular Samaritan village rejected Jesus when they found out he was heading to Jerusalem. And the disciples' response probably shocks us. Verse 54. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. Now, why do they respond in this way? I think there's a theological and a cultural reason. Theologically, we know that from the start of chapter 9, uh, people associated Jesus with, with the prophet Elijah, who was supposed to come just before the day of the Lord. Uh, and back in the days of King Ahab, when the prophet Elijah was active in Israel hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, a king in, Assyria, in, in Samaria had sought to capture and destroy the prophet Elijah and fire had fallen down from heaven and consumed them. So you can, you can see the background to what they're doing. But culturally, I think it's interesting to notice they never respond like this to Israelites who reject the message of Jesus. It is a sad fact of humanity that we are so quick to mistreat those who are not like us, those who look or sound different to me, those who are other. Any group 
identity can, can lead to this kind of tribalism, whether it's a, a religious ideology or a racial identity or even a football team. Any group I'm part of can lead me to mistreat those who are not part of it. Now, whatever is behind the disciples' attitude, whether it's driven more by theology or culture, Jesus is having absolutely none of it. He doesn't reward the disciples' loyalty. He rebukes them. You notice Jesus' strongest condemnation is always aimed at his own, his own people and the religious leaders. Now, I think we see just in these couple of verses why it is that Christianity offers unique hope to our divided, hurting, broken world. You see, Christianity is, is not just another tribe that teaches me to look down on and oppress others. Because at the heart of Christianity is Christ Jesus. The, the king who's going to Jerusalem to be rejected and killed so that he can welcome all people and offer forgiveness to those who mistreat him. As he hangs on the cross in agony, mocked and literally tortured to death, Luke chapter 23, verse 34, records him pray, Father, forgive them. As with Jesus, so for his followers. Christianity offers hope for a broken world because at its heart is the one who responds to rejection and hatred with grace and forgiveness. Now, it would be easy to mishear that in the current context. It's not saying Christians should not fight for, for justice, should just put up with things. Uh, Jesus has shown in the early chapters of Luke that he is the king of justice who has come to stamp out evil and to protect the weak. And as his followers, we should respond to rejection with grace, but we should also share his concern to look after, to fight for, to protect the oppressed and the marginalized. Now, we rightly celebrate the extraordinary Christ-like response of Dr. Martin Luther King in the 1960s to the oppression he faced. But wouldn't it be wonderful if oppressed minority culture Christians found it was easier to respond with grace because majority culture Christians fought with a Christ-like zeal for their rights and their protection and their justice? Can you imagine how different the history of the world might have played out, or just the last 50 years might have played out, if Christians had had a more Christ-like attitude and followed Jesus more closely in these things, in a concern for the oppressed and in a response of grace? Jesus' followers must share Jesus' attitude to others, and Jesus' followers should respond to rejection with grace. Thirdly, Jesus' followers must give him total commitment. Now, the second half of uh, the passage contains some of the most extreme things Jesus says. Uh, he says that if we want to follow him, we need to be willing to sacrifice everything for the one who gives up everything for us. Now, there are three encounters with three individuals who are called to make their life about one thing and one thing only. Firstly, verse 57 as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. His point here uh, flows out of the Samaritan rejection. I think Jesus is saying, look, the, the world 
rejects the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. So if you follow Jesus, don't expect acceptance and comfort in this world. To follow Jesus is to turn away from being on the inside and to become an outsider, questioned, misunderstood, mocked. Now, for as long as we've known in this country, really, uh, the worst that Christians have had to face is mockery, really, by and large. But that is changing. And increasingly, to, to identify with Jesus Christ and the teachings of the Bible is not just to be seen as odd, but especially on matters of sexual morality, to be seen as hmm, dangerous, bigoted, immoral even. Still want to follow Jesus wherever he goes, he asks. Secondly, verse 59. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, this just sounds deeply unreasonable, I think. Uh, now, it may be that let me bury my father is, um, is, not, is not interrupting a funeral. It's the man saying, look, I can't really follow you until my parents have died and I'm free of all family obligations. Uh, but whatever, the, the point that Jesus is making is that he is the number one priority. Nothing outranks him. The gospel message, the proclamation of the kingdom of God is the only way that people of this, this world can be saved from our sins for eternal life. And so nothing outranks that priority. Not even family. Now that's shocking for us to hear. In a traditional culture in which it was originally spoken, it was nothing short of scandalous. But it's what Jesus says. Verse 61 Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Again, the statement sounds reasonable, but Jesus' response shows what's really going on. The issue here is a, is a heart torn in two directions, like, like Lot's wife or the Israelites escaping from slavery in Egypt. If... If the previous incident was, uh, was about the urgency of the priority of the gospel, I think this is more about perseverance. Saying it's not enough to make a, a good start following him and then later on to kind of drift back and hanker after the old life. No, he's saying we persevere for the long term if we're to be true followers of Jesus. We keep following him day after week, after month, after year, after decade. Jesus emphasizes here the total nature of discipleship. How we simply have no rights as Christians, to be honest. We have no rights to a, a certain standard of living, no rights to having a particular family, no rights to a particular career. Jesus can command or demand anything and everything. Now, we want to hedge our bets and hang on to certain things, but he, he just won't let us. Now, some uh, barely have time to sleep in lockdown. Uh, for others of you, I know it's uh, time to, to dust off old hobbies and take up new ones. As I, as I walk the, the dog um, on his lunchtime walk around our, the neighborhood, it, it sounds like a primary school orchestra tuning up. Um, all these people who've uh, found these long-lost musical instruments under the bed and, uh, and are giving them a go um, kind of makes the dogs howl. But there we go. Um, 
And look, the trumpet under your bed or the sourdough starter in your, in your kitchen cupboard, look, if you want to give them a couple of hours a week, if you've got time, yeah, fine, that's, that's appropriate for a hobby. But some things aren't like that. If you're part of one of the teams working on a vaccine for COVID-19 at the moment, then a couple of hours in the week, if you've got the time, if you've got the inclination, that just doesn't cut it. It's got to have your total devotion. It needs to outrank other stuff in your life. You're going to have to put all sorts of other good things on hold to prioritize this. You're going to have to make all sorts of sacrifices because the urgency and the importance of the task, it just demands it. Well, Jesus is not a sourdough starter we can take up like a hobby. He is the king, and not just a, a small king in this world. He is the king of the universe. I, I heard it put this way. It helped me. The distance between the earth and the sun is something like 92 million miles. And, and if that distance is represented by the width of this sheet of paper, then uh, the breadth of our galaxy, the Milky Way, would be a stack of these papers 310 miles high. Our galaxy is just one of billions, a, a, a tiny insignificant speck in the vastness of the cosmos. And Jesus sustains every galaxy by his word. He holds the entirety of the cosmos in the palm of his hand. Are we then surprised that this Jesus declares he has the right to everything I am and have? Do, do we dare treat this Jesus like an Amazon Alexa? They're there to sort of answer my questions when I'm intrigued and they're to get me the things I want to, to make life comfortable and, and go well. You can't receive salvation from this Jesus and not give him your life. It's not that you, you have to somehow repay his forgiveness by your devotion. No, no, no. He achieves everything and gives us, and gives us salvation as a free gift. It's just you, you can't split Jesus in two. That, that's the point. Um, lockdown is starting to be eased off and we're going to be able to, to see each other soon. Hurrah. I imagine all of you are desperate to invite me over for dinner. And were you to do so, you, you, can't, you can't say, I'd like to, Phil, I'd like to invite your, your arms and your torso over for dinner, uh, but your legs and your head, not welcome. You, you can't split me like that. And you... You can't receive the Jesus who goes to Jerusalem to die on the cross for your salvation and reject the divine king who made the cosmos. It, it, it's one and the same. The Jesus who forgives is the Jesus who reigns and demands our life. Now, I can't say specifically what it, what it might look like for you in the detail of life to live out Jesus' demands here of discipleship, the demands of the king of the universe. In some ways, it's, um, it's easier to put it negatively. In a, you, you can't come to Jesus and say, look, I would love to be forgiven for my sins. I'd love to have the hope of eternal life. Um, 
but there does need to be a sense of proportion to all this. I, I am keen to serve you and, and you know to live as a Christian, so long as we we don't get all um, too extreme about everything. Is that okay? You you can't say I'll happily give my money regularly, but but I hope you do understand that it, it can't actually impact my standard of living and certainly it can't end up with my standard of living being lower than my peers or 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 lower than what I was brought up with you can't say I will of course uh, forgive people I mean you've forgiven me Jesus but not her that that is a bit different I can't say it is my privilege to serve the gospel and tell other people about Jesus but but you you can't expect me to give up my career to do it full-time and certainly not go abroad to do it. Jesus writes over us. They're as limitless as he is. But here's the thing, to give our lives to him is the very best way to live there is. There is misery at the heart of our narcissistic age with the, the endless X factor of, of, of trying to be somebody, of trying to to fulfill my soul's longing with the achievements of my life and fulfilling my dreams and desires. Instead, Jesus calls us to the joy and the fulfillment of turning away from looking in here and giving ourselves to him and his glorious purpose, his purpose of bringing salvation to the world and of establishing his eternal kingdom of justice and of peace and of joy and of adventure and of fun and of laughter. That's the cause your soul longs for. That's the cause worth giving everything for. It is very appropriate that these lessons are taught on the road. There is something binary about following Jesus. Either you do or you don't. Uh, There is a, a moment of total commitment as you decide to set out on this journey of trust in Jesus. But you don't get to the destination immediately. It's a journey. It takes time to to learn to trust him, to live wholeheartedly for him, to give him everything. But why not take a step tonight, whether it's the first step on that journey or a step further in commitment with him? Why not make that step tonight? Let me pray. Our Father God, we, uh, we thank you in this awful week that uh, King Jesus has come to establish a kingdom of justice. Our Father, we, we recognize, though, that uh, the calls he makes on our lives are without end, that he calls us to give ourselves wholly to him. And we pray that you would, uh, he would help us to see that this is the only right way to respond to the God King. And we pray that you would give us faith to see that this is the best way to live. For your glory's sake. Amen.